This podcast deals with mature themes that are intended for an adult audience. The information in this show could be triggering and cause distress for some viewers. If you feel in distress, please seek out help. Please take care and listening. Relationship Review with Delcy Martin. Hello, lovely humans, and welcome back to the Relationship Review. I am your host, Delcy Martin, and I'm very happy to be coming to you today and recording from my office space at the Wellness Clinic in Brandon. I want to thank everybody very much for staying with me on this journey and sincerely apologize that I haven't released an episode in some time. My life has been uh, something of a shit show, um, so organizing all of those pieces has been challenging, and unfortunately, some of the things that are put on the back burner are self-care things, which they shouldn't be, um, but the podcast ended up being one of them. So I'm giving you an episode now, and I'm super excited to share with you um, another one of my sexy Saturdays which is becoming a habit of not being released on a Saturday, but, you know, sexy Saturday kind of sounds really nice to say. Um, So we're going to stick with sexy Saturdays, but this episode is not being released on a Saturday. And uh, it's going to have a sexual wellness focus today. So I am very fortunate working at the wellness clinic to be working with an amazing group of holistic healthcare practitioners. So we have doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, dietitians, counselors, um, tons of amazing, super cool professionals. And we approach any sort of medical problem that are uh that our clinic is presented with from a holistic point of view, taking into account all aspects of the person, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional, and looking at how those things can address the problem that the patient is bringing in. Um, Today, I want to talk about sexual wellness under while taking more of a medical focus because it's impossible to rule these things out. And when we're talking about sexual wellness in particular, a the gold standard of care is an interdisciplinary team perspective and a team approach to it, taking into account both psychological and medical factors. So I'm also very fortunate that I am running a series of sexual wellness workshops. They're virtual, um, offered online, and can be accessed from anywhere in the world, really. So I'm almost done of the first round of the series. So I think we have two more classes left, but I'm going to be running them again in future. So If you really like what you hear today, this is actually a snippet of the information that I would be providing in my sexual wellness classes. So I would love to have you register for the next round. 
Um, if you want to know when they're taking place, you can follow us on social media, the Wellness Clinic Brandon. You can also follow me on social media, uh, the Relationship Review Facebook group. Um, and we're going to have posters up everywhere for it. Uh, but if you want more information about my classes, you can also email me at delcymartin at trueyouththerapy.ca or dmartin at wellnessclinicbrandon.ca. And I'd be really happy to hear from you. So we're going to start off today by talking about how medication can influence our sexual wellness. So as a reminder, when we're talking about sexual wellness, we're looking at two pieces, arousal and desire. Desire being the body's, uh, your brain's ability to want sex, your horniness, your ready, your get up and go. Arousal being your body's ability to respond. So in penis owners, this might look like an erection. In vulva owners, this might look like vaginal moisture or for both or any case, this could also look like ejaculation, your body's ability to work. So looking at medications, the first one that I want to look at that can affect both of these things is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, also called SSRIs. SSRIs are, per, are uh, typically prescribed in the treatment of anxiety and depression, and they have an interesting side effect of lower desire, as well as lower intensity orgasms or delayed orgasms. So if you are struggling with any of these things and you're taking an SSRI for anxiety and depression, you might want to visit your doctor and kind of mention those sexual side effects because there's lots of other options for treating anxiety and depression with medication that don't involve a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Uh, the next medication that we want to look at is antihistamines. Antihistamines are typically they can be prescribed, but most of the time they're over the counter. These are your reactin, um, your basically all of your your allergy medications. Now, what they are designed to do is they're designed to dry up mucous membranes so that you're not as stuffy. But the other thing that has mucous membranes is our vaginas. Um, the moisture that we produce when we're aroused that's needed to give us lubricant to have sex is actually coming from mucus glands. So if somebody's taking an antihistamine, there might be that side effect of vaginal dryness. Uh, you guys know how much of a big supporter of lubricant I am. So lube should be used in foreplay. Lube should be used freely during sex. Lube is just an awesome thing. So you should be using it anyway, but if you're not and you're taking an antihistamine, you absolutely need to be using lubricant for both foreplay and intercourse or penetration, uh, insertion or penetration, sorry. Uh, the next one that can affect things is opioids. Uh, again, they can affect both the sexual arousal and desire. And of course, this list of medications is definitely not exhausted, but these are the big ones that we see. Now, there's a couple of medication options that we can look at to help treat uh, some sexual wellness problems. The first one for erectile dysfunction, so difficulty maintaining an erection or getting an erection or getting an erection that's as firm as you might like. Viagra, of course, the little blue pill has been around for a very long time, uh, but unfortunately, despite how long it's been around, there's still a whole lot of stigma attached to it. And the stigma, unfortunately, is that if somebody 
who is a penis owner is taking Viagra, that they are obviously not a real man or that the partner is not getting an eject or an, sorry, an erection because they're not attracted to their partner. Um, of course, these are absolutely stigmas and absolutely not true. Viagra is a great medication to take if you're struggling with these things. It's prescribed all the time and it does not mean that you're less than in any way, shape or form. But the other piece with Viagra is that some folks will take Viagra when in reality what's happening to them, the reason why they may not be getting an erection is a psychological block. Um, there's also a really circular pattern where if you have trouble getting an erection or maintaining an erection once, the next time you're going to anticipate that there might be a problem and then you would worry and that anticipation and worry in and of itself um, basically ensures that you don't have an erection or as strong of an erection the next time. So counseling is very important to break that psychological cycle. Uh, for our vulva vagina owners, we have estrogen creams, which can which contain the hormone estrogen and can be applied topically. Uh, these can be very, very helpful as well with desire and with arousal. Next, we're going to look at medical conditions that could affect desire and arousal. So again, this list is absolutely not exhaustive. There's a whole lot more than can go into this. But to start looking at some major medical conditions like renal failure, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and even something like substance use disorder, all of these things can affect your desire and your arousal for sex. Anxiety and depression are huge ones. So looking at the anxiety spectrum, we kind of already talked about that, where if you're worried or if you have anxiety about performing, then that anxiety and perseverating on that in and of itself is going to cause problems with performance. Um, again, the other piece is that people with these conditions are typically treated with SSRIs, which have that side effect of lowered desire. Um, depression is a is another big one. And what really plays into this is sexual self-esteem. So what sexual self-esteem is, is how you feel about yourself. Do you see yourself as a sexual person? Do you see yourself as being good at sex? If you have depression, you're very likely to have low sexual self-esteem and low sexual self-esteem absolutely affects your desire and your arousal. ADHD is another big one. Um, for those of us with ADHD, we tend to have brains that have trouble focusing anyway. We have a whole lot of thoughts about a whole lot of things and to sift through them and focus on what's happening in the moment is incredibly difficult. So folks with ADHD are especially susceptible to spectating. And we kind of talked about that in an earlier podcast episode. But for those who didn't listen to it, spectating is when you are focusing more on the process and your worries about having sex than you are about the pleasure that you're receiving. Uh, for more information on spectating, uh, check out my other Sexy Saturday episodes and I can get you a lot more there. But folks with ADHD are especially susceptible to spectating because we have that natural inattentiveness anyway. The other piece is that people tend to choose to have sex at nighttime before bed, and by then our medication is worn off. So we are in our full neurospicy colors at that point, which can make sex really fun, but it can also make it very, very distracting and at risk of spectating. 
Uh, endometriosis and polycystic ovary syndrome. These are conditions that happen to our vulva vagina owners. Um, these can cause a whole lot of pain during sex and the pain can come all the time, but it can be especially apparent in sex. It can happen before orgasm, during orgasm or after orgasm. So if you suspect you might have endometriosis or polycystic ovary syndrome, make sure that you're speaking with your doctor or gynecologist about ideal treatments for this and how it can help with desire and arousal. Pregnancy is a huge one. Um, my goodness, when you're pregnant, you're sore, you're puking, you're nauseous, you're extremely overwhelmed by all of the things that are happening. Those aren't exactly great conditions for wanting to have sex. And that's completely understandable. There's some folks during pregnancy where their sex drive goes up and they have amazing, fantastic sex. And if you're one of those people, awesome. Good on you. That is fabulous. But a lot of the time, pregnancy is not a time when people really want to have sex, when it actually could be very beneficial for them because it can help with pain relieving. It can help with cramps. Um, so pregnancy is absolutely a period um, with natural lower desire and arousal. So give yourself some grace and give your partner some grace if you're in this period of your life. Post-birth is a huge one, and this is for multiple reasons. Um, our hormones are absolutely out of whack post-birth, and our hormones do affect our desire and arousal levels. The other part is that, so especially with foreplay, if normally you would like to have your breasts touched, when you're breastfeeding a little one, um, your breasts are suddenly being used to deliver nutrition and to deliver sustenance of life. To switch between that perspective of sustenance of life to being a sexual object is a very difficult switch for us to make in our mind. The other thing is that when you're breastfeeding, your nipples are sore, your breast is sore, you're as a parent anyway post-birth, you're overtouched and you're absolutely exhausted from the day. Again, these aren't setting up ideal conditions for wanting to have sex. The other piece is that when we are... Um, when we are in the act of parenting, we're accessing that companionship aspect of our relationship and that companionship aspect of our brain. To switch from that immediately to our erotic self is a very hard switch to make because those two aspects of self are not compatible. So it can be especially difficult for parents and moms, especially, uh, to go from that role of mothering to that role of being their ideal sexual self. So it's important to give yourself some grace. And that's not to say that when you're pregnant or when you're post-birth or when you're a parent, you shouldn't have sex. You absolutely should. But having these open conversations with your partner is ideal. It's very important. Um, it's very important to try, but to also do it within a range that you are comfortable and you feel safe with. And finally, menopause is a huge one. I mean, most of my cases with menopause, it's very rare that you find one that doesn't have uh, affecting desire. 
um, and arousal. And again, this plays into a number of different reasons. When you've hit menopause, you're sore, you're having hot flashes, your um, anxiety symptoms are increased, you've got memory problems and brain fog, and a whole lot of stuff that's happening during this change of life. And it's, again, not setting up ideal conditions for wanting to have sex. Uh, the best gold standard treatment when you're experiencing this in menopause is going to be your hormone replacement therapies. And it's really important that you talk with your physician about that if this is the case for you. Next, I want to talk a little bit about sexual injuries um, and some other medical considerations. Because, I mean, I've definitely neglected talking about safe sex um, up until now. And I do want to apologize for that. Today, I'm not so much going to be talking about safe sex in the sense of you know, contraception um, and STI prevention, although that is incredibly important stuff to talk about. This is more injuries that can take place during the act of sex. Um, so starting off, I want to start off by talking about anal sex. Um, when you are shoving, when you are putting something into your anus, you need to make sure that it has it's smooth that it doesn't have sharp edges and the biggest thing make sure that's tapered at the base or that there's a base on it because anything you put up there can get lost and that's just not a fun time for anybody might be a fun time for the people at the hospital who have to figure out what you've actually put up there but not so much fun for you as a person Anal fissures are very tiny um, little cracks and tears that can happen in your anus. And the reason is because that skin is very sensitive. I actually read somewhere that the skin on the anus is the same as the skin on your lips. So imagine the cracks in your lips instead of putting that internally. Not a fun time. Anal fissures can also happen if you're being too forceful with anal sex or if you're putting something in that's too large too quick. Your biggest thing with anal sex to remember is that you want to start small and you want to start slow and work your way up. And you may need to start with something small um, with, and then work your way up within the same single session because the anus is also very, uh, very elastic. So it might kind of go back to where it was. Uh, before anal sex, to ensure that you don't get anal fissures, you want to make sure that you use lots of lubricant. You also want to make sure that you're already aroused before you go into doing it. Uh, going along with anal sex, hemorrhoids are also no fun. They're blood sacs that are attached to your anus. They're very, very painful. Uh, they can come after having kids. They can come from having to strain for a bowel movement. They can come for lots of different reasons. But no matter why they're there, when they're there, they're not a fun time. So hemorrhoids can be addressed with cream. They can also be removed surgically. But the challenge with removing them surgically is that the, um, the recovery period can be quite painful. Moving into vaginal sex, just like anal sex, we also have vaginal fissures. Vaginal fissures are small tears in the vagina. This can happen for a number of reasons. This can happen from, again, inserting something in your vagina that's not smooth, or at least if it has edges, that the edges aren't smoothed. Because edges in the vagina can absolutely be fun. They just have to be safe edges. The other way that vaginal fissures can take place is if you're having sex too forcefully um, or if your pelvic floor is too tight. And we'll talk more about pelvic floor in a minute. 
or if your pelvic floor is too tight and you're trying to insert either a penis or an object in there with a tight floor, that can cause tears. Uh, vaginismus is the definition of pain during sex. Vaginismus, painful sex, is a condition that we run into the most at my work, um, for me at least, when it comes to treating sexual wellness. And it's pain during sex, and it's caused by a number of different things. Um, sometimes it can be because you felt pain or discomfort once, then you're anticipating the discomfort the next time. So the anticipation makes your pelvic floor tighter. The gold standard treatment for vaginismus is pelvic floor physiotherapy. Um, and it's being assessed by a professional pelvic floor physiotherapist. Uh, we have an amazing one here at the Wellness Clinic. Uh, she works with tons of folks and has great success with them. Uh, if you're not from Brandon or don't have access to our clinic, also uh, do a quick Google search in your area for pelvic floor physiotherapists. You won't regret it. They're absolutely essential. Yeah, other considerations medically when you're having vaginal sex, urinary tract infections, uh, which is where the bacteria from your body gets into your urinary tract. So I'm, when you're having sex, be it penetrative, be it insertion, be it foreplay, you're going to be exchanging fluids from different parts of your body. And each part of your body has a different bacteria that other parts of your body do not want to receive. This is what happens with a UTI. Uh, UTIs feel like painful urination. Um, you'll definitely know if you have one, and they can screen you at the clinics just by doing a pee test. Uh, UTIs are not contagious. Uh, they are treated with um, they are treated with medication. Uh, the next is yeast infections. Um, yeast infections are the natural flora of the vulva when they become really, really angry at us. They can become very, very itchy and very, very uncomfortable. Uh, again, yeast infections, much like UTIs, are treated with antibiotics. Um, they're not a big deal. People get them all the time. We see them all the time in the clinic. I've gotten them all the time. It's just kind of a thing that happens to vulva owners. Um, UTIs can uh, happen to both sexes, by the way. Uh, the way to prevent UTIs and yeast infections, there's a number of different things. Um, some people get them because they use too many scented products down there, like bubble baths or vaginal washes. Um, some people get them because they don't do really good pre-sex hygiene. Uh, your bodies have natural bacteria, especially if you are having sex with another individual instead of masturbating. Um, that can absolutely cause UTIs. So it's really important to do pre-sex hygiene, making sure that your genital areas are clean or at the very least that your hands are clean so you're not passing anything on. Um, the last one I want to talk about under vaginal sex is bacterial vaginosis. Um, again, this is an overgrowth of normal bacteria. It presents with a very smelly odor and thick and colored discharge. I want to bring up bacterial vaginosis in specific because it is contagious. It can be passed on to your partners. So if you feel like you have really extra smelly odor, thick discharge and discomfort, make sure you're going to see your doctor. It can be very easily treated with antibiotics and we can treat your partner that way too. 
Um, next, moving on to penile fractures. So the word penile fracture is very interesting in that it's really not what happens because a fracture implies that there's a bone and there's absolutely no bones in the penis. The penis has uh, tubes, the corpus callosum, that fill with blood to lift the penis into an erection once they fill with blood. So these tubes actually have a membrane on the outside of them. When this membrane is broken, that's when we see a penile fracture taking place. It's incredibly painful and and it can happen for a number of reasons. Um, but during sex, the one I want to wa you to watch for is if you're in positions like woman on top or sorry, individual on top, um, it's very easy to come down on the penis and bend it. So you want to be very, just very careful with that. And of course, just like anal and vaginal fissures, there are penile fissures, which is where we see tears in the penis from being inserted into something that is uh, maybe rough, something um, having sex without having enough lubricant. So too much friction can also cause these fissures and these small tears. If you're experiencing any discomfort uh, from sex, one of the pieces that you might want to look at is your sexual positions. Hip rotation actually affects how comfortable it is for you to get into certain positions. And that be that's because your hip rotation affects the rotation of your pelvic floor. If your kneecaps face outward, that means you have externally rotated hips. So if you're in a certain position and you're feeling some discomfort during sex, rather than getting out of the position and assuming you can't do it, uh, twisting or sorry, moving around your moving your knees and moving your legs into different positions and moving your hips into different positions might actually be your solution to your problem. The other thing to consider about sexual positions is that different sexual positions hit different areas of the body. So some may feel better. As an example, your typical uh, person penetrating or inserting from behind doggy style position has a much deeper, uh, deeper penetration. So that will have a very different feeling than, say, a individual on top with you on your back being inserted from on top. Um, the other the other thing to take into consideration is that the person who is doing the penetrating or the insertion gets the indicator to stop by feeling pressure at the end of the penis or at the end of the object. But the pressure that they feel might not actually be the end point of the vagina. In fact, it could be the it could be that the hips are rotated into a different position, making the um, making the pelvic floor shorter and the penetrating object pressure happening sooner rather than later. Pelvic floor physiotherapy, I want to highlight because it's the first line treatment for many sexual challenges. You can have a tight pelvic floor, which you need to loosen, or you might have a pelvic floor that's too loose and needs to be tighter, which is why it's so important to make sure you have a good assessment by a pelvic floor physiotherapist. A pelvic floor physiotherapy assessment is needed if you're experiencing pelvic discomfort, whether it's caused by intercourse or not urinary leakage, or if you're getting pain or discomfort radiating into the back, the abdomen, and the hips. And again, this pain could happen before orgasm, during orgasm, or after orgasm as well. 
A tight pelvic floor can cause a lot of discomfort, and it's because it shifts the penetrating object closer to the cervix. And for some, um, having something right on or too close to the cervix can be very uncomfortable. So ways that you can help yourself um, with discomfort during sex, in addition to getting a pelvic floor physiotherapy assessment, is to use straw breath. So straw breathing is when you exhale, you purse your lips close together as if you are drinking out of a straw. The reason why this breath works is that it helps to maintain the length of the pelvic floor. And straw breath can also really help with any anxiety that's associated with sex. So it has dual purposes. Another type of breath that you can do is a belly breath, which is where you breathe and you have your hand on your stomach and you try to make it so that when you inhale, your belly expands. I'm just doing that breath along with you as we go. So again, when you inhale, you should be able to feel your belly expanding more so than your chest. When you have that belly breath, it can expand the pelvic floor and it can help to relax you. It can help give you more depth and it can really help with pain. And again, we have an amazing pelvic floor physiotherapist here at the Wellness Clinic, and uh, you can Google pelvic floor physiotherapist for your general area. So what's the recipe for best sex possible? Open body, open mind, and open heart. So here's what this means. Open body, having an open body is very important during sex because if you are keeping yourself rigid and your muscles rigid, especially with your pelvic floor, um, then you are at more risk of being injured during sex. Your partner also feels it and your partner could be at risk of being injured during sex as well if you're very, very tense. So it's really important to have literally an open mind, an open pelvis, making sure that you're able to receive the gifts that your partner is giving you and uh, the gifts that you're giving to them as well, because sex absolutely is a gift. Um, you're at your most vulnerable with your partner when you're having sex. You're both naked. You have each other's genital. You have each other's genitals, and this is a very vulnerable position to be in, both physically and emotionally. Which is why it's so important to honor yourself during your sexual experiences, because it is a gift. You also want to keep an open mind. So what that looks like is you want to be open to what your body naturally wants to do without judgment, like not sitting there and thinking, is my, am I moving my hips right? Is my face sexy? Um, am I making the right noises? If you focus on the pleasure that you're experiencing and you keep an open mind to the fact that your partner finds you sexy, they find you attractive. That's why they're aroused. They're aroused by you, not by something else. So if you can keep an open mind to your partner's desire for you and believe that they desire you, as well as keeping an open mind for yourself to let your body and trust your body to do its thing, you're going to be in a great position. And finally, you want to keep an open heart because, again, you, when you're having sex, you are opening your heart to another person. Yes, sex can absolutely be just for sex. We have the two components of the relationship, the companionship and the erotic components, and they do use two separate brain processes. But even if you're just having sex for the sake of enjoyment and pleasure, which is fantastic, by the way, make sure that you keep an open heart to the experience. You keep an open heart to the person who's sharing this experience with you. Open body, open mind and open heart. 
Delcy's recipe for the best sex possible. And when I say the best sex possible, I mean the best sex possible for you and your partner, not for me, not for Joe Blow on the street, because the best sex possible the definition of that varies from person to person and varies from couple to couple. And there is no definition of what great sex is. So understand that you always have the potential to have great sex, the great sex that is going to be for you and for your partner, not for anybody else. So I want to thank you all for being here with me today, and I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Of course, if you have any feedback, you're welcome to email me at D-E-L-S-I-E-M-A-R-T-I-N at T-R-U-E-Y-O-U-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y dot C-A. And I welcome you and I hear you and I'm just so grateful for you for listening to this. Mm-hmm.